In John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. First Peter asked the question, What about in physical suffering? What then? John 10, 27 and 28, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. First Peter asks, what about relational suffering? What about when families begin to have friction because you're following after Christ? John 10, 27 through 28, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. First Peter asks, what about in temptations and unbelievable trials? First Peter is a demonstration of exactly what Jesus tells us and told his disciples. That we in Christ and dwelt by the Spirit as those who have repented of sin and placed our faith and trust in Christ. A key marker of the church, of the local church, of believers, is that they hear His words. And they abide in them. They recognize His words. In the letter of 1 Peter, the local church is find, has, finds herself in a season of suffering, serious relational conflict, and also for some physical conflict for abiding in Christ. And this letter that we've titled in this series, Living Faithfully in the Little While, is a reminder that God is faithful, that no one and nothing can take us out of His hands, that God loves us and He is faithful, and that even the hardest of trials and temptations in life are but for a little while and insignificant compared to the glory that the Lord has for us in His return. So my prayer for us as I've boiled this letter down into one little sentence, that God has given us the Spirit, His Word, and the body, that we may abide in Christ through the little while. God has given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. As the disciples, if you remember the walk through the Gospel of John, Jesus breathed on them, gave them a, uh, a, a measure of the Spirit for their personal, or gave them the person of the Holy Spirit for their personal ministry as they awaited Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit that would indwell believers as the gospel went out. We received the Spirit at our conversion. And so 1 Peter is a reminder that they have the Spirit of God who's sanctifying them, maturing them, and growing them in the faith, even through serious acts of suffering. And also they have the Word, so they, they receive this Word written by Peter, an apostle, and apostles there were only a few of them. But they gave the authoritative Word of God. And so, so we have the Word of God. The apostles, they saw the resurrected Christ. The apostles were commissioned by the resurrected Christ. And the Spirit of God worked through their words to give us Scripture. This Word is the final authority for all of our life and belief and practice. And then God has gifted us with the body. As we read through this letter, as we're going to read in 1 Peter just a little bit through the book together. It'll take us about 15 minutes. And as we read it, you'll note the family language in the book. You'll note the family language. 
Because following Christ for many involves literal losing of family ties. And yet, the bride of Christ, His way is better, and through faith in Christ, we receive family. That's what we saw demonstrated in baptism. This is our sister in Christ. Not in a cheesy way, not in a way that people use those terms too loosely. She's our sister through the blood of Christ. And so we're to walk with her in this newness of life. And likewise, when we see the Hubbards, these are our family members in Christ, our local church body, so we know their faces. There's, we have millions and millions of brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are experiencing physical suffering and relational suffering and all of these things. And yet, the way this shows itself locally is with the faces of the people you see around you, the local body that you've committed yourself to, to be and make disciples for the glory of God. So God has given us the Spirit, His Word, and the body that we may abide in Christ through the little while. For Peter, remember, the little while meant three or so decades of faithful ministry and suffering until he himself would be crucified. A little while. So, Let's look first, then, as we unpack this summary sentence. For a little while, we get to share in the experience of sanctifying suffering. Sanctification, sanctifying, to be set apart for a holy purpose. So in Christ, this is important that we catch this. In Christ, we are positionally holy. By faith in His Son, by faith in the Son, Jesus Christ, we are positionally holy. You are forgiven of all your sin, not simply the sin you you committed before uh, when you came to Christ, but you're, you're washed entirely by the work of Christ on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus died once and for all. It was finished. And believer in Christ, you are forgiven and washed clean. But now in our lives, as we functionally live our lives, we, we strive for holiness, we long for holiness because we are holy. So we're not doing so to try to become holy, But because we've been made acceptable by God in Christ, we are holy and forgiven. In this life that we live, we progressively become more and more holy, meaning we we resemble the Jesus in whom we love, Jesus who we love. We're captivated by Him. We're dwelt by the Spirit. We encourage each other as a body of Christ to love and good deeds. And that involves suffering. Suffering. Two types of suffering we see in this book. First is physical suffering. Physical suffering. Now we're going to read. We're not going to read all these references right now because we're going to read the whole book together in a little bit. So calm down. I can see you're so excited, just budding with excitement. Physical suffering. In the early church, there was suffering that happened not with there wasn't a sword behind every door, or every church meeting. Matter of fact, the early church, the believers were cloaked under Judaism. Because most of them were faithful Jews that saw that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the the King, the Anointed One of God. And yet suffering would come, even by the state, but much of that, by the government, much of that would happen even after this writing, shortly after this writing. And suffering would happen not necessarily whole scale, though later on, a couple Decades after 1 Peter writes this letter to what's present-day Turkey, churches and believers scattered out in in the, the area of Turkey, Domitian would lead suffering across this whole area. Physical suffering for proclaiming Christ and denying the lordship of Caesar. But physical suffering, largely think of it like a rash on a body. A little bit here, a little bit there. There might have been suffering right here, and then one town over, no suffering for the cause of Christ physically. But suffering happened. 
What we want to understand is we can take this in East Texas of all places. I don't think any of us have entered here today fearing physical persecution for the sake of Christ, for the gathering together of the body. But physical suffering, even though scholars are kind of split on this, physical suffering doesn't seem to be the fate of the believers that are receiving this letter. But three decades from receiving this letter in the 60s, it would be. So what would happen if they received this letter and thought, well, we're not physically being executed for Christ? And they didn't take it seriously. What a tragedy that would be. And so the same tragedy would befall us believers. We're not trying to drum up some drama of how hard it is to follow Christ. There are brothers and sisters of Christ all over the world that physical suffering is their lot. That they risk their lives to gather with the bride. But who knows how many of you college students God may call to missions to go on the other side of the world. And who knows how many of us might be called to business on the other side of the world. And following Christ may very well cost you physical suffering. But we never want to be presumptive. We want to prepare in such a way and train in such a way. And this is why, listen, pastors and elders and, and Peter, who was prepared for suffering by Jesus, if we're really feeding you the way we're called to feed you, we must equip you. Pastors and teachers must, must equip you to endure suffering. Because when the game starts, it's too late to practice. What's that mean? It means to grow in our love and affections for the Lord, to, to, to long to walk faithfully, abiding in the Lord by the Spirit, to be tight with the bride of Christ before the physical trials begin. And if we're not doing that, and that's not making its way into our mindset, we are not feeding you the good food that you need. We're not preparing you. And little Abigail, we're not preparing her if we're not thinking truly. Isn't that possible? Is it that hard to think in three decades, two or three decades, that she could lose a job? That she could endure some kind of physical suffering very possibly because she stands on the Word of God and the teachings of the Word of God about who we are, the exclusivity of Christ, the biblical teaching of sexuality and, and, the, and life? Is it that hard to think she could be ostracized for being associated with a body of Christ that loves God's Word and wants to just walk through it together? Is that hard to believe? So we ought to train and to walk in such a way and to love the Lord and to equip each other in such a way that we prepare for physical suffering. So let me ask you that, parents. Are you preparing in such a way? Are you preparing your child for physical suffering for the cause of Christ? Are we praying for that? Of course, we pray that we're, we don't endure hardship, but also we ought to pray that we would endure hardship if the Lord should count us worthy to experience hardship. And that is a heart behind 1 Peter that God is sovereign over all the universe. So the abuses that might come in from the state, if they, even if they act unjustly, God is still sovereign and they will give an account. So you, beloved, cling close to Christ and be faithful. Don't repay reviling with reviling, but love to reviling. Hold fast to Christ. Be like Christ. You know what, What's most common in our context, though, and to the immediate, is relational suffering. Relational suffering. So physical suffering and relational suffering. Without question, the believers were having unbelievable daily relational suffering for following Christ. And this is nothing new to Peter. Mark 10, 28-31, after Jesus encountered the rich young 
man who refused to follow Jesus, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last will be first. For Peter to feed Christ's sheep meant to prepare them for suffering, and the same is true today and across every church across the world. And so, how do we answer that question? There's, there's something that maybe it sounds like a catchphrase, because we say it all the time, word, worship, service, family. How do we equip you to suffer? These aren't just catchphrases. As the elders assembled these and saying, what makes a healthy disciple? It's a people devoted to the Word of God. And if any of these four, you pluck them out, you will find somebody not growing in health, but getting weaker. And just like an immune system, you want your immune system, all of us, of course, to be growing in health, preparing for sickness the attack of sickness, growing in health. And so to the life of the believer that's growing in preparation for suffering, devoted to the Word. We believe it's pivotal that we're devoted to the Word together. So imagine a circle. People gathered around the Word of God, walking and applying it out together. Think of small groups. Think of our men's groups and our women's groups. Think of our youth group, our college groups. Devoted to the Word together close enough that we can see each other's face and know each other's life well enough that we can see how well are we walking and applying the Word of God together. Devoted to the Word. So are you involved with a group sitting around people face-to-face that love the Lord and love His Word enough and you love the Lord and love the Word enough to help them apply and walk out the Word? So we believe it's vital to be devoted to the Word with a group of people. Second, a group at Grace. So as we apply this to the life of our church. Second, gospel-centered worship. The gospel-centered worship, that what happens in this room in this time is unique than what you can do on your Monday commute listening to your favorite podcast preacher or me. I'm not supposed to laugh so passionately at that. Or your favorite Spotify playlist. But there's something unique that happens in the intentional gathering together of the corporate body on Sunday mornings. And if you pluck this out of the life of a believer, listen, this isn't just for adults. This applies for children. This applies for youth, middle school, high school students, college students, senior adults. The gospel-centered worship. We organize our services, God, man, Christ, response. That the singing, the teaching, the sitting under the word, the giving, what takes place is vital and cannot be replaced. It cannot be supplemented. That's vital to our health as believers. Sacrificial service marks the life of the believer. God has given His bride gifts. We'll see that in 1 Peter. Whether they're speaking gifts or service gifts, we do them for the Lord. A believer that's not serving and going, and we think of service in two ways. Serving in this way through a ministry of the body and living an intentional life of service, saying, God, help me to love my neighbor. And Whatever that naturally looks like through the week, God, Spirit, show me opportunities to love my neighbor. But then the other side, serving with our lips. Serving by being confident and competent that every member of Grace Bible would be confident and competent to share the gospel message, the hope that we have in Christ with others. 
verbally. And then family. We're building community as a family being renewed by the power of Christ's love. That means we're close enough to each other to offend each other. But also close enough to each other that when we offend each other, we'll want to do the hard work to forgive each other. Right? We're close enough to be and make disciples together, to pour our lives out together, to sharpen each other. When one falls down, to help them get back up. Word, worship, service, family. If you pull any of these out, listen, we will shrink in health. We will not grow healthier. It's undisputable. So let me share with you a couple ways in which this this makes its way, and because this is a perfect example with a baptism that we saw and, and and a family dedication, and we're the week before family service. Now, I was a speech comm major in university. I didn't need to do that to know that vision leaks. And you think I would have figured it out that the only time I've ever explained why do we do family service, that's the last Sunday of the month when K through 5th join us in this time. The only time I've explained that to you was about two and a half years ago. So that may be rusty for you. That was a joke. It is rusty for you. You probably have no idea. So what I want to do is I want to explain how the vision fits in, Word, Worship, Service, Family, for just a simple example of why we do family service. Because Word, Worship, Service, Family, these components, they're how I'm assessed as a pastor. Our pastoral staff, this is how they're assessed as well. Are we discipling and equipping the saints for the work of ministry? Are we going by this same, these same four vision values? Are we moving in the same direction or are we not? Meaning, are we preparing you for suffering? Now, the easy joke when we talk about family service is that we're causing the children to suffer by bringing them into service to hear me preach. That's the easiest joke you can get. I did it before you did it, okay? Or if you're a parent, you're thinking, I've got to control my kindergartner. This is suffering for me. No, no, no. See, as a church family, we are committed to the wiggles and the squeaks and the noises. We're never presumptive upon the young life that God has entrusted to us to care for and to train up. Here's why this matters. The goal is that if a child comes to worship service, by the time they're in sixth grade, they will have attended over a year's worth of services. They will have built up a tolerance and an understanding. But what we know in life and in the Scriptures is that the faith is both caught and taught. It is both caught and taught. This is not simply information transfer. It is caught and it is taught. Let me explain. The kindergartner that sits in service, they're making observations the whole time. I know they're making observations because my little preschoolers, when we walk along, they stop and look at an ant. I have never stopped and looked at an ant. They're making observations all the time. And that little kindergartner is looking around and saying, look at all those college, look at those people, they're singing like they believe this. They look at their mom or dad or grandma and grandpa and they see they got this book open on their lap. So why are they all looking at the same book? They look at the guy on the stage and say, I don't get it, but they seem to be listening. Why is everybody quiet and that guy's speaking? What's he doing? Their parents are introverts, but somebody walks over and begins to talk to them and their parent begins to come alive. Like, What's going on here? I don't know that person. Why are they talking to my mom? Wait, they're, my parents giving money to this? They get, they don't even, they get mad if I ask for an expensive toy. And if the child's ever heard of tax season, they know you don't like to give money. So like, is there a charge to this? They look at a baptism and they say, 
that girl just baptized that other girl. That girl just dunked that other girl. And everybody clapped. If I did that, I'd get in trouble. What in the world? Then family service, as we observe the Lord's Supper together, they get these little cups, and they can't have one. That's how the Lord brought me to faith as a six-year-old boy. A curiosity that the Spirit used to spark in my heart of, why not me? And they look around and they see this, the sobriety, but the hope and the happiness in the room as everyone partakes at the same time. Our faith is caught and taught. And this is what it means for parents. Listen. It means one of two things is being communicated to your child. They now know the thing that is either so important to you that you will reorient your schedule to make sure you're gathering with these people on a Sunday-by-Sunday basis, or they know the thing that is not that important because you seem to only go when you don't have something better to do. That's where we say what word? Ouch. What kind of disciples are we training up? And what are we thinking at the youngest of ages? Now, the faith isn't some kind of, we can't, we can't, there's not some kind of little science project we do and all of a sudden that child has faith and loves the Lord. It's not upon us, it's by grace. But what kind of disciples are we equipping and aiming to train up? What expectations do we have? Are we expecting for them to suffer? Or are we expecting for them to have something that looks everything like them? What questions do we expect our children to ask when they go off and graduate and leave or join the military? What kind of churches do they look for if they're not involved in the life of the congregation? They're going to look and say, I want to go to a church where I will be entertained. Or I want to go to a church where it meets every one of my 97 checkboxes. Because when my youth pastor or children's pastor didn't do it, I didn't want to go. What else does it communicate? Suffering never comes into the occasion. Disciple-making never comes into the equation. And studies show there's various resources that you can look at, but one of those is called The Power of Small Changes and Keeping Students Connected, written in 2018 by Ben Trueblood. David Kinnam, Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon. Their research found in each of these books, complement this, 88% of children that grow up in the church that have no older adults investing in their life, 88% will drop out after graduation, which means senior recognition, say goodbye to 9 out of 10 of those kids. You think they're prepared for suffering? You think they're prepared to defend the Christian worldview when they don't even usually have an elementary understanding of the faith and the wealth of temptations that's about to befall them as young adults for the first time living on their own? 88%. The same research shows that if, if those kids have at least three meaningful adults meaningful relationships with older adults and the local church, that improves by 30%. Here, listen to the concluding statement on page 139 of the second book. We can't overstate the importance of these relationships with older adults outside the family, especially as children move from their teen years. High-quality, Jesus-seeking adults in their lives can help them involved in church. Listen to this. By people they want to be around and provide them with examples they can emulate. Here's what that's saying. They see the older adults suffer well and cling to Christ. They see the older person that they've been sitting around for several years lose their husband, and yet they still are faithfully clinging to Christ. 
They see couples go through death and loss and job loss and heartache, and yet they still cling to Christ, and they love and serve one another. Faith is both caught and taught, my friends. If we want to grow and produce disciples that are going out to make disciples and to suffer well wherever God calls them, this must shape our attitudes. It must shape our heart, and it must shape our intentionality in the why. So all that doesn't quite come from a verse in 1 Peter, but it does come from the why we say we're worship, service, family. Because our prayer is to send out missionaries ready to suffer. Even if God would send them to SFA as a college student, or God would send them into the military or into the career field, we want to send missionaries, not sheep to the slaughter. Amen? That's God's calling for our lives. Suffer well relationally and even physically. I could say much more on that, but I won't. Second, for a little while, you know what? I will. I'm going to say more on it. Is that okay, Stephen? All right. All the restaurants have closed, and they're going to open at 1230 today. You're just good. I just got a text on my phone. During COVID, my wife would bring our two boys, and if you saw them up here, and I know those of you that came, you saw them, right? There was like full-on wrestling going on up here. And then they would cry, and she would usually work her way back to the cry room. Sarah does an unbelievable job. They're all boys. I estimate that I spoke about 160,000 words explaining through the Gospel of John, preaching through the Gospel of John. There's only four words that stuck with my kids that I know of as they heard them back there wrestling around. Four words, because they say it all the time on their own. Jesus is the light. For some reason, the Spirit used that, those, that phrase to just stick in their minds. Jesus is the light. They still see it. I'll say, who's the light? Jesus is the light. If, don't you think God is so great that He can take four words? Now, four words out of 160,000 is not a good batting average. Okay? It's not good. But if He can take those four words and ingrain that into their heart and their soul and their belief, what will the Lord do in preparing them for suffering? When they go through dark times and heartache, I still believe Jesus is the light. They go through temptation, I still believe Jesus is the light. Never underestimate what God can do with His Word. Amen? Amen. So for a little while, secondly, we get to share in the experience of standing face-to-face with trials and temptations. There will not be trials and temptations, the new heavens and new earth, and Christ reign from the earth. There will not be that. Trials and temptations will be a thing only of the present as we know them now. And it leads us always to ask one of two questions, or two questions we're constantly being bombarded by as believers. And First Peter helps us to address them. Number one, is Christ's way really better than fading worldly pleasures? And number two, is Christ's way really better than the traditions of my ancestors? Two questions. Is Christ's way really better than the fading pleasures I used to walk in? Paul calls him, in, or Peter calls him in, in 114, my former, your former ignorance. And we'll see those lists as we read through 1 Peter. Peter reminds them, Jesus' way is better. Why? Because sin and holiness cannot both taste sweet at the same time, can they? They will make us distaste the other. Now, I was told after the first service that your taste buds can grow back in about three weeks. So our tastes can change pretty quickly, very literally, can't they? So we pray, God, give me a greater taste and a love for holiness. 
Your way truly is better. I know that. Help me to live that as I face temptations. This is what the church was facing at this time. Secondly, is Christ's way really better than the traditions of my ancestors? There are multitudes that are coming to faith. That's the majority of the audience, even though some may have been Jews that were coming to faith in Christ. And in which case, they're still facing trials because they're believing that Jesus is the Messiah and their parents and grandparents may have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. So it's causing problems with the family and their ancestors. But the majority of these are coming from the pagan Roman culture. And they're professing faith in Christ and it's causing serious conflict. They're being kicked out of their families, cut off entirely. During this series, we'll share multiple stories in present day of that happening. It's impacted even members of our own congregation that have lost relationships with loved ones because of following Christ. And so notice as we read through in just a little bit the family language all through the book, because this is our family in Christ. And third, for a little while, we get to proclaim the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ to a world that is marked by burdens and restlessness, an unbelieving world that is captivated by lesser loves. We'll note in the first chapter of the love of Jesus that we have as believers. This is the greater love. How tragic that the unbelieving world is settling for lesser pleasures. Not simply lesser pleasures, but pleasures that are leading to death and will lead to judgment. And how sad is it that they settle for lesser loves? But oh, they could know the goodness of the Creator and the life in Him. Like Pilgrim's Progress with Christian who walks around with this huge burden on his back. That is the true picture of the unbelieving world, no matter the spin on it. And we as believers, when we come to Christ, the Lord doesn't just rapture us up and bring Him to Himself. Rather, He deploys us to live as faithful representatives of grace and peace as we receive peace with God and there and have peace in our souls and peace with one another in a world that will never have peace apart from their Creator and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? This is the hope that God has for us, but for the little while. A little while. Who knows what God will do with a little while of faithfulness? Who knows what God has done with a little while of faithfulness of Grace Bible Church in the last 80 years of being deployed here? Two weeks ago, someone sent an email, a brother named Mark Travis. He contacted Holly in the church office. I want to read you a summary of what he wrote. He was a student here at SFA in the 70s and 80s. Probably not two decades, but probably like late 70s, early 80s. He stumbled upon a bulletin two weeks ago from Grace Bible. He was prompted to call and ask how things were doing, and, and he, he wanted to share how formative the congregation of Grace Bible at that time was upon the entire course of his life. He was only here for a few years. His whole life, he said, was changed. He mentioned men like, like Bill Flynn and Rick Hurst and Ralph Busby and Pastor Aldridge and the Tuckers. He was here for a little while, yet his life was shaped to be a disciple maker. Never underestimate what faithfulness in the little while, whether that's seasons of feasting or seasons of suffering, what God can do that to amplify His glory in people's lives. That's the goodness of our God. So, open your Bible to 1 Peter. 
And let's read this letter together. We've made this our habit on smaller books to read through the letter once. And in our next steps, that's going to be a spoiler for you. In our next steps is I challenge you to, to read this little book. It takes about 15 minutes to read it once a week. You can listen to it read on audio Bible. But let this just soak into your soul for the rest of the year as we work through this little letter of 1 Peter. And part of the prayer that we're going to pray and ask for ourselves in our next steps is going to be to do whatever He wills in your life to mature your love and belief in Christ. If that's suffering, glory be to God. If that's grief, glory be to God. If that's feasting, glory be to God. But you want to be faithful for our great King. His ways are truly better. 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's eat this meal that Peter has prepared as he was deployed by his great chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Verse 1, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You're going to want your eyes on the text to be able to follow along. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to the, His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials." so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, and perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring that what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear and throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with perishable, with precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and 
all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flowers falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants. Long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into the salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you've come into Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they speak against you as evildoers. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, that is gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or of clothing you wear, but let your heart adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in Christ's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, 
showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteous sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your heart honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, putting, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, it now saves you. Not a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to Him. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when they do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that, through, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's variant grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and to Him being long glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, but the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be put to shame, but let him glorify God in that name, for it is 
a time of judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus. A faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Would you pray with me? Oh God, Your Word is good. We believe truly that You will hold us fast. And all the trials and temptations that have befallen us and will befall us, we come as Your flock. We thank You, God, and we pray that You would give us an eternal perspective. Grow our love for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Grow our boldness and our willingness to walk in accordance with the gospel that we would strive and love holiness. Would you give us a boldness and an unfadingness of presenting you to others, to our neighbors and our family? God, would you find us faithful in the little while? Father, we lift up to you those that, that may have heard this for the first time, that don't know you as Savior and as Lord. God, we ask that you would bring them to newness of life. Let today be the day they repent and turn and trust in You and profess You as their Savior and King. Lord, help us to walk faithfully in the good way that You've given us, the greater way, the way of grace and the way of peace and the way of Your Word by Your Spirit. We do love You and we thank You for the privilege it is to gather together this morning and hear Your Word. In Jesus' name, all God's people said together, Amen. Would you stand with me as we respond in song?